The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Good afternoon, everybody. Eric France and Andre Salveson. Hope you're having a good Tuesday. <laughs> you know, what are you a... giggling about over okay, there? Okay, so I, the the story that you heard at the top of the hour, the update, uh, where a uh, um, Ted Carter, the Nebraska president, went on a hot mic <laughs> and said the Big Ten and, uh, was going to have football in the season. So he pretty much announced. Something before the Big Ten even came out and announced it. Do you want to hear what he had to say? Uh, Let, yeah. Here's actually, what he had to say. This that. is what the hot mic caught from Ted Carter. And this is a Ted Carter and Bob Hinson that you'll hear. And uh, talking about this uh, Big Ten announcement and Nebraska. We're getting ready to announce a Husker Big Ten football tonight. Oh, really? I, I heard that that was happening. I didn't. You know, I think there's a lot of anticipation about that. Good for you. Maybe that'll get off your plate. <laughs> well, it never will, but it's 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 a good move in the right direction. Right. So if you at the very beginning there, he says it's it's going to be announced tonight, the Big Ten in Nebraska. So there's a video of him later on, and uh, I don't know if it's a chance or whoever is speaking, and he's like checking his phone, and I think it's kind of where he realized, oh my gosh, there was a hot mic, and I just said that. Uh, this isn't good. And he's just scrolling probably through all these text messages or, or Twitter tweets and seeing that, you know, Breckman Murphy, hey, according to President of Nebraska, Ted Carter is going to be Big Ten football. And he's, you know, heart probably drops to his stomach. Well, at my work in Bear Lake, um, we had decided we were going to shut down. And uh, long story short, ends up that there's going to be a big group coming this weekend. We didn't know or it wasn't communicated. So I text. So I had a conversation with somebody and he was, he wasn't happy with how it wasn't communicated. And so I was meaning to text somebody else of, Hey, I just got chewed out by so-and-so because you know, whatever. And I was kind of mean about it to end up. I texted the guy who just chewed me out. Oh, that's great. (laughs) So, uh, and he's probably listening to our show right now. So, you're gonna have a fun conversation when you get off the air. So now I'm yeah, now I'm probably gonna be checking my phone here in just a minute, seeing uh, all these tweets and texts. He's gotta think before you speak or text or t- tweet or whatever. So yeah, there's some controversy here. Um again, this is uh, uh the the comment was from Ted Carter. He is the University of Nebraska system president, and he was speaking to Bob Hinson. He's the director of the National Strategic Research Institute. There was a conference in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska today, but it was picked up on video by a local television station in Omaha. And uh, and, and now he's kind of backtracking, saying, I think that was picked up a little out of context. All I said is there's work going on and remain cautiously optimistic, like everybody else, that we'll get to discovering when it's safe to play. Big Ten has not immediately announced or confirmed an announcement that might come later today. Now, we had heard rumors that it was going to be done by this weekend. By Sunday afternoon or Sunday night, we'd have a we'd have an announcement. Yes. Well, here it's Tuesday afternoon, and there's still no word. Uh, they've had a medical committee that's been working on this. Uh, presidents 
have been talking about it, chancellors. But so far, no vote. I, you know, I think it might have been, um, it, it might have been the fact that they, they wanted to have this like old grand old announcement, right? Like they're gonna have like this cool video come out on social media. Hey, we're gonna play all this and all that, and then all of a sudden it's like, you idiot, Carter. Now what are we gonna do? The announcement came out because you some on some stupid hot mic. So. You know, if they announce this week that they're going to go forward, games could start as early as October 17th. Uh, yeah, is that a month away then? And you could still get a you know, just conference-only schedule in and finish in December. Yeah. You could have a conference championship and still be eligible for college football playoffs, Many bowl games that get resurrected. So does the if if this happens, does the Pac-12 start to look at things again? They've asked the question now: Is what does the Pac-12 do? Because remember, they last one standing. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is is remember they were like in this big old pack, right? You know, with the Big Ten. Hey, we're gonna stay strong. We're gonna hold to our senses. We know that we're taking care of our athletes. And we're we're not going to budge. We're going to be the two power conferences that are going to do what's best for our athletes. Comes out being that Pac-12 is kind of the fresh prince of Bel Air when Will Smith like was in the house, and it's just Will Smith, and it's like, oh, well, this sucks. So yeah, that's the Pac-12 now. Um, I would imagine the Pac-12 plays in the fall. Like, I, there's no way that they look at this and say, yeah, we're okay. The big difference between what's going on in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten is what's going on in the states where that the Pac-12 exists, where that exists. California, Washington, Oregon. Uh, they, based on their current guidelines, you can't have groups that large getting together, which a football team would need to hold practices. Apparently, a bunch of players uh, at USC just put together – uh, a letter petitioning California Governor Gavin Newsom to let him play, to lift his restrictions. But this it's it's 2020 where we've got a pandemic, we've had a lot of social uh, unrest, and now in the Pac-12 footprint, we have wildfires like crazy, and it's not safe to play because of air quality. So Pac-12 just is not getting any breaks. They have the technology and the ability to do regular and rapid testing. But the the uh, the local governments still are not giving them room to uh to hold their have enough people gather together to practice. Yeah. So that's that's a big key there. Yeah, it's a mess right now and it, I I don't think even a letter to go, Governor Newsom's going to do it. I just don't think that's going to happen. You're going to have to find a different way to play. Or else play without those teams involved. That in which actually honestly might end up being the case. I mean, in theory, that sounds like maybe that's a solution, but in reality, I don't see how they do that. I don't think how I don't see how a conference can move forward leaving some of their teams out. Well, that's not again, I think we've had this discussion before too, but I don't think that's their fault. Like the Pac twelve can't say, Well, you know, we're gonna hold out because your governor said that you can't play. We can move on without you having to be there. 
again, because it's not the conference's fault. Does the Big Ten say we had 12 of our 14 teams say they wanted to move forward, but those two teams that don't, they just won't play. The rest of us will. No, they're going to say you're all in or we're all out. Be the whole be united thing. So what do you do? I mean, if it's uh, you say, okay, Pac-12, we're going to go forward. We're going to do the schedule. Washington, we get it. You you can't practice. You can't play. Here's the schedule. If you can show up, you'll play the game. If you can't, it's just canceled. Yeah, that's what you, I mean. And but then you got to give them a seven day notice. Um, you know, if they can or can't play, or you just say, hey, look, we're Washington and we can't play. We just can't. Like we there's. <laughs> The governor has rule over the state, right? That's that's his or her job. The Pac-12's conference is to make sure their teams are safe and that they're able to play, that they're given the best opportunity to play in a safe environment. And if the Pac-12 can do that, like there's... No, the Pac-12's role is to earn as much money as they can for their member institutions. Sure, but I think there is a cause for concern that, hey, can we play? Can we make it happen by being safe? If they can... You put it together, and you say, we're doing our part. This is our job, is to make sure that there's a conference schedule put together. We are going to do that right now. Here it is. This is what it looks like. If you can't play, you can't play. But don't blame us for you not being able to play. That's not our call. We're saying you can play. Us telling you, or you say, or you not being able to play is not our decision. That's not us. At your governor, you need to talk with him or her or the medical team, whatever it is, and tell them you want to play. We don't have any control over that. Move on. Move on. Like, if they can't be a part of it, and it sucks. I think California's in the same situation. Oregon, I believe, is what I'm hearing is, so what, you're looking at Washington State, Washington, Oregon and Oregon State, USC, UCLA. Is there anybody else I'm missing? That's Cal, Stanford. Yeah. So that's eight quality teams in that conference. So you're looking at four teams left. Okay, now that would be an issue. <laughs> yeah. That would be a major issue. No, I mean, how do you do that? How do you have a schedule? Yeah, that would be an issue. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, sure, this idea of a regional thing where you partner with the Mountain West and your, your non-California, Washington, Oregon schools all play each other. And then when those Washington, Oregon, California schools can play – they end up playing each other later on in the year. But how do you split the proceeds? How do you manage schedules? I mean, it sounds great, but it just, I don't see it happening because there be, they're, they're, they're tribal in nature. We're going to protect our own. We only want to do what's best for us. We, we don't want to share. Um, so I think the, the Pac 12 will say, we're, we're just going to do what's best for the Pac-12. We don't Mountain West. That's your problem. Yeah, and then that's another thing. <laughs> I know it's not attractive to the Pac-12 at all whatsoever. I'm being dead serious. When what if? And I saw the tweet yesterday. What if you combine the Mountain West and Pac-12? If those states can't play, that's eight teams. Why don't you just take the Mountain West and say, "Hey, do you want to play with us?" Well, so that's eight teams in the in the pack. Yeah, in those states. And then if you added the Mountain West schools that also have trouble playing right now, that's three more. That's three more, but you still got... San Jose, Fresno, and San Diego State. And New Mexico. I mean, their governor isn't really laying off the hook either. 
So then, but then yet you still have Utah State, Wyoming, Air Force, Colorado State, Colorado, Colorado, Boise, Boise, Utah, Utah would be in there, Arizona State, and Arizona. That's that's a solid group. You're still all right. I know it's not USC. I know it's not Oregon. I know it's not Washington. But it gives you a healthy amount of teams. The you could probably even put two divisions together. I would not suggest that. I would just go with the one. But again, I mean that's to each their own. But it it gives you a good amount of teams in there, and some of them I know some of them are more quality than others. But then you're also asking the Mountain West Conference to play this fall, and that might be asking too much right now at this point, especially with these kids not being able to. I don't know how much they've been able to practice. I, I have no idea, but. They yeah. have been practicing, but here's the problem. They've set up their their uh, academic schedules yeah, to make it, to get as much in now so that they don't have as much load next semester. So, well, I mean, do you think Mount West Conference is preparing for spring? I have no idea. See, that's the They've other question. Very quiet. Hey, uh, speaking of schedules, I know we're kind of jumping to the hardwood here, but John Rostan reported that Orlando will be taking care of all the Florida tournaments that are supposed to be there, and that includes the Myrtle Beach Invitational, which Utah State's a part of. Um, that saying, that looks like Utah State be headed to Disney World to go play in the bubble uh, as a part of the tournament, which is actually pretty cool. Will it be in the bubble? It just says it's in Orlando. Yeah, it'd be in. Uh, it'd be at. Uh, yeah, I believe Where the it's NBA is part doing of the NBA now. bubble. Yep, and what the NBA's done, they're just going to take that and just throw the college teams in there. Well, it's smart for Disney World to do that. Just oh, say, hey, look, my goodness. we've got it all set up. Oh my goodness, know how to execute these. Yeah, let's just do. We'll be the and as long as you stay, preferred venue for as a long lot of as you stay out of keeping Maid's Eddie room and going to get magic chicken wings, you're going to be <laughs> just fine. Uh, John Rothstein, yes, as you said, uh, Orlando will host following eight early season events during the first few weeks of college basketball. The Champions Classic, the Jimmy V Classic, Wooden Legacy, Preseason NIT, Orlando Invitational, Charleston Classic, Myrtle Beach Invitational, and the Diamond Head Classic, which is normally in Hawaii. So, interesting. A lot of these are, are relocating in pretty drastic, different uh, geographic locations. So for USU, that's good news. As you said, the Myrtle Beach Invitational looks like it's still on. And those teams that would be participating in that, it's a great uh, field. Uh, you've got uh, Charlotte, Dayton, Loyola, Missouri, Nebraska, Penn, and Pittsburgh. That's a great field. That's a good group of teams for Utah State to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it just and I think it's a really relieving thing that you don't have to adjust your schedule with non-conference, and then know that you still get that because that's a big portion of their schedule, Eric. And that's a great portion, as you mentioned, of their RPI schedule as well. So it's it's a big, big, huge boost, to shot in the arm for the Utah State and for all the teams for their non-conference schedules. I'm grateful for it. And uh, and hopefully Aggies will be able to compete. Now, I got to be honest; I'm not as familiar with the Myrtle Beach and how it's set up. Mm-hmm. That's eight teams. Is it a round robin or is it like a true bracket and you win and you advance? And I think it's a round robin. Yep, I. Yeah, but if I'm not mistaken, it's a round robin. 
don't think there's any championship game included in that. But it's a good round robin, like you said. It's a good amount of teams. And, and again, we'll, we'll get the official announcement tomorrow of what the schedule will look like. Uh, tomorrow, I believe, Eric, right around our showtime, we'll have the announcement of what the schedule is or when they are scheduled to start, which will be a big part of what their non-conference will look like for the Aggies. Yeah, the NCAA Division One Council is expected to meet tomorrow and have their announcement, which will have major implications for men's and women's basketball. They'll discuss other winter sports, spring sports, have discussions even that could relate to football for those conferences that opted not to play this fall and want to play uh, later in the year. So a lot is supposed to be settled and announced in after that decision and that meeting tomorrow. Uh, Ajay, I know you've got to ditch out early on me. I'm really sick of doing that to you, man. Um, but before we let you go, uh, let's get to our player and stat. Okay. These are things that we normally do on Tuesdays. And uh, we, we kind of look, one of the things that we do to look back on the week that was. Let's take a look at the numbers. It's the stat that blew our minds. He did what? On the full court press. Wow, that blew my mind. All right, IJ, who is your player of the week before we get into the stats? You know, this has been really tough. I mean, because there's been some great, great games in all sports everywhere, right? I honestly have to give it to Jamal Murray again. Like, we're going to a Game 7 because of this guy. I know Jokic was a big part of really? that game. I'd say it's probably more because of Jokic. Than yeah, and, and, sure, and, and there's going to be a lot of people who say that. But this guy was pretty much, like, crawling in the fourth quarter up and down the floor, right? Uh, you could tell he wasn't 100%, but he gave a good run at it. And I thought he is the biggest, in my opinion, the biggest reason why we are in a Game 7 with the Clippers and Nuggets tonight at 7 o'clock. I like that. Okay. Uh, my player, um, I'm going to the Chicago Cubs. Go ahead. Alec Miller. Excuse me, Alec Mills. Oh, yes. His first career no-hitter. Yes. The Cubs win the game 12 to nothing. They dominated both offensively and defensively, but Mills on the mound was phenomenal. First no-hitter. Uh, by the way, the last time that the Cubs had a no-hitter, David Ross was the catcher. Wasn't that like last year? No, it's been a few years ago. Oh. Uh, but um, the Cubs won that game 16 to nothing. Wait, uh, who pitched it? Was it Zambrano? Who was that? Um, no, that wasn't Zambrano. I just saw it earlier. Yeah, uh, me too. Zambrano pitched a no-hitter. That was like 2007, 2008. Uh, I think the last time they had a no-hitter was in 16. But there was something like ironic to it, though, too, and I can't remember what it was. Well, Zambrano pitched a no-hitter for the first time. The Cubs had a no-hitter since like the early 70s. Since then, they've had three other well, But no wasn't it the same park, though, against the same team, though, that the last no-hitter they had to this one? Wasn't like at the same park, or it was something really odd and ironic to it all. Is is what made the no hitter so great. Um, it was impressive. Yeah, uh, actually, this is also doubly cool. Hearing from Mills after the no hitter, um, just the other day. <laughs> uh, I definitely would have told them they were crazy. Um, you know, it's kind of surreal how everything's happened. Uh, but you know, everything happens for a reason. I wouldn't change any of it. I think, you know, being a walk on made me who I am today. I think, uh, you know. They gave me a chance there, and then uh, other teams have given me a chance, and uh, you know I'm just going to keep working to, to make them uh, make them right. From a walk on in college to a no hitter on the mound for the Chicago Cubs, pretty cool story. 
All right, what is your stat that blew your mind? Okay, so this isn't going to really blow anybody's mind because of the duration of what they've been together for. But Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were together for how long, right? And the last time that the Patriots lost and Tom Brady lost um, a game, or excuse me, the last time that the Patriots won and Tom Brady lost on the same weekend, 1999. October 23rd, Illinois beat Michigan 35-29. And October 24th, just the next day, the Patriots beat the Broncos by 124-23. That is the last time Brady lost, and the Patriots won. Again, granted, they were together for 20-something or 18 years or whatever that was, and so it wasn't really happening. But yeah, that's... That's incredible. That's incredible. Uh, the stat that blew my mind, uh, I'm going to the Nuggets like you did earlier for your player, but as a team, they're the first team in NBA history to play a Game 7 in four straight series. They went to two Game 7s last year in the playoffs. They won the first, they lost the second. They uh, went to Game 7 against the Jazz in the last round. They won that series, as we know, and now here they are again in the Game 7. Uh, they are the first team with three 15-point comebacks facing elimination wow. in a postseason. How about that? Just just can't overlook those nuggets. They just don't say die. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, I, I know I've got to go, and I, I can't wait to hear your prediction and your breakdown of the big game seven tonight. But for me, um, I have the Clippers winning. But if this thing's close with about six minutes left, all bets are off. Throw it out the window. Dire straits. I have no idea what's going to happen, so don't ask. <laughs> like, if this thing's close within five points with six minutes left, if this thing's within 13 with the fourth quarter left, that's close enough for the Nuggets. That's all they need. Because they were down 18 last game. 16 before that. 16 to the Jazz. It's, it's nothing to them. It's a tickle. So... Yeah, brace if you're a Clippers fan, brace yourself because this team has absolutely, positively nothing to lose and everything to gain if they beat you. Yeah, all the pressure's on the Clippers. All of it, Eric. All of it. All right, uh, we'll say goodbye to Ajay. More things to get through. We'll discuss, yes, the NBA playoffs tonight, Game 7 in one series, Game 1 in another. We'll also take a look at uh, what's going on along across the NBA with coaching vacancies, which which teams really are the most appealing opportunities for new head coaches? Which ones are going to be real challenges walking into? Uh, we'll look at uh, what happened in the NFL last night and uh, the updated Major League Baseball standings. We're getting closer to the playoffs. And a little bit later on, we'll have a conversation with John Newbold, play-by-play announcer for the Skyview Bobcats, preview uh, what the Bobcats might be walking into when they go to Millville on Thursday to face the Ridgeline Riverhawks. And don't forget Eli Becker tonight at 5.15 to get you uh, updated and give you all the breaking news going on with the uh, college basketball sc- start released tomorrow. Yes, so stay tuned for all that. It's all ahead right here on the Full Court Press. The new home for the Full Court Press. Weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Eric Franson with you here on a Tuesday. We'll have John Newbold joining us in a little while. Hurricane John Newbold calls a play-by-play for 
the Skyview Bobcats. Big showdown on Thursday in Millville between the Bobcats and the Riverhawks. Number one versus number two in the state, according to the new uh, RPI rankings released on Monday by Utah High School Activities Association. So John will give us his perspective. Later in the week, we'll hear from Dave Simmons from the uh, Ridgeline perspective, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Also, next hour, Eli Betker will join us from the Mountain West Wire to give us some thoughts about the uh, Mountain West basketball season. An exciting year last year. What could this next year look like, assuming it it does take place and happens as we would hope it would? So he'll also weigh in on the decision that could be made tomorrow regarding play for the Mountain West and uh, other NCAA Division I basketball teams. Uh, Before we continue on, though, this – I wish I could have seen this earlier. I may have included this as a stat that blew my mind. Um, we know we made some, uh, some people made a big deal about Fernando Tatis Jr. When his team was uh, had a lead, uh, a strong lead, uh, and uh, the Padres were up big, and uh, he had a 3-0 count against the Rangers, and uh, he knocked it out of the park for a grand slam. When they went into that game, the Rangers... Or should be the Padres. The, they were eleven and twelve at the time. Texas Rangers. They were ten and ten. So pretty evenly matched at that time. But the that set off a, a series of games by the Padres where they were just knocking grand slams almost every single game. Uh, and uh, Padres since then have gone twenty one and five. But the Rangers very different. They've gone seven and twenty. Uh, only the Diamondbacks have a worse record in that span of time, and the the Diamondbacks have, or excuse me, the Padres have the best record in Major League Baseball in that span of time. Kind of crazy. So we'll get into the playoff standings and uh, the run to the playoffs coming up in in a little while in Major League Baseball. Uh, but another note from the NFL: uh, this was an interesting Monday Night Football. We'll get into that in just a second. But the Raiders making an announcement today: uh, they've waived. Safety, Dallin Levitt, former Aggie. And so it's disappointing to see him leave. But another former Aggie is coming in to take his place. Uh, Nevin Lawson has been activated uh, following a one-game suspension. Um, He was with the team, wasn't able to participate this last week, uh, but will now be available. And so they're activating him. And to do that, they needed to make room on their roster. So unfortunately, Dallin Levitt is the victim of that. But uh, see if any other teams pick him up as he's been with uh, the Raiders for uh, a few years. So best of luck to Dal Levitt in finding another home in the NFL. Uh, but did you uh, did you get a chance to watch those games on Monday night? Uh, no, the, the Pittsburgh game was, was interesting. I think that I know I was a, a down on Pittsburgh when we gave our, our preseason predictions on the year, but... Uh, Roethlisberger looked okay. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster looked great. Um, I thought particularly their defense uh, was really strong, especially how they were able to uh, bottle up Saquon Barkley for the uh, the Giants. Barkley, as touted as he is and as good as we hoped he'd be, 15 carries and only six yards last night. Wow, that's rough. Uh, not very many running backs with that many carries have produced fewer uh, amount of yards on the field. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, though, um, 
Six receptions for 69 yards. I mean, Barkley wasn't totally absent from the game. I mean, he did some things catching the ball out of the backfield, but as a running back, oh, man, a lot of futility there. You have to give a lot of credit to Pittsburgh and that def- that def- defensive front uh, that they had. Uh, the other game, though, uh, a futility in the kicking game, but eventually coming through, uh, Goskowski missed several field goals, but then he hits the winning one at the end to win it for the Titans over the Broncos. Uh, but uh, for the opening weekend in the NFL, field goal kickers were atrocious. Uh, they were, uh, I saw this stat, they're like 60%. One of the lowest levels, uh, success rates in the in the NFL for any given weekend for field goal kickers. So not a great opening weekend for field goal kickers throughout the NFL. And it was certainly on display uh, with, for, with the Titans and uh what what Goskowski was doing in all of his uh, failed attempts, but eventually uh, he got it through when it mattered the most, one for four, uh, and got that uh, 25-yarder to get the win. Um, but uh, over you know, over Denver, 16-14. to 14. So kind of an interesting opening weekend in the NFL. Uh, again, uh, we talked about this just the other day, uh, road teams with the victories. So it was pretty even, actually. When it's all said and done, road teams won as much as home teams did in the opening weekend. Is that going to be an ongoing trend with no fans? Uh, Or is it just the state of the NFL? And uh, teams are more evenly matched. There aren't really very many blowouts. Uh, A lot of games decided by a touchdown or less. Um, Granted, there were a few dominating performances, notably the Ravens over the Browns, but that's the Browns. Just, they continue to struggle and futility. But there were a lot of really close games in the NFL for the opening weekend. So I thought it was pretty even throughout the NFL. And excited to have it back. Fun to have the season underway. And it looked like, for the most part, everything went uh, went pretty well. Yes, there were some teams, you could tell they were rusty. They, they did not benefit at all from not having a preseason, especially some of the younger quarterbacks but uh, and other position players, key position players. But uh, overall, uh, it was a good weekend to get things started for the NFL. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, I uh, want to get into what happened with uh, or what could happen this week with the Ridgeline Riverhawks and the Skyview Bobcats. Uh, Skyview, according to the new uh, rankings from UHSAA, we've got it put together on cashvalleydaily.com. You can see the, all the rankings uh, as, they're, uh, as they've been put together by UHSAA. Uh, Skyview is the number one team in 4A, and right on their heels are the Ridgeline Riverhawks. Uh, Ridgeline uh, has had one fewer game than everybody else because they had that Cypress game canceled earlier in the season in Week 2. That was a 6A team. It would have been really interesting to see how that could have played out, but Nonetheless, it is what it is, uh, and I don't think that the Ridgeline unfairly penalized for not playing that game. So they're still the number two team. Uh, Bear River comes in at number six. Uh, Logan is 14th. Green Canyon right on their heels, and then Mountain Crest close to them as well at 17. So uh, you got three teams in the top 10, and then three teams closely bunched together in the RPI for this uh, first week that the RPI is released. 
and in the week five of the regular season. Uh, by the way, in 5A, Box Elder, um, a lot of close games for them, but uh, they come in ranked uh, 20th in the opening RPI rankings. Uh, they've, uh, they're have they 1-2 in games decided by a touchdown or less, and that one victory came this past weekend with a 15-14, to just a one-point win over Farmington. So uh, we'll see what they can do as they face Viewmont. Viewmont is a team that's also struggling in 5A, so hopefully Box Elder gets a little bit of momentum on their side, but some really interesting games uh, on the schedule this week in Region 11, and uh, the biggest is Thursday between Ridgeline and Skyview. So coming up next, we'll uh, touch base with one of those play-by-play guys, John Newbold, who's been following the uh, Skyview Bobcats for several years. He's had a good idea of what this team looks like, made the trip to Idaho while they were up there uh, at one of their games. So he's got an idea of what this team looks like at home and on the road as they will be on the road in a hostile environment at uh, Ridgeline High School coming up on Thursday. We'll have the full game right here on the fan, pregame at about 645 Kickoff at 7 here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, and also heard on 104.5 The Ranch. So we'll get that perspective coming up. We'll also look at the NBA schedule this evening. Uh, the uh, uh, Eli Becker will join me next hour to talk about the Mountain West and uh, the future for college basketball. So a lot of things still on tap here on the Full Court Press. Stick around. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Welcome back to Full Court Press. Eric Franson with you here on a Tuesday. By the way, if you've got a question or a comment, things you saw over the weekend uh, or Monday night football, where Monday night, you know, the NFL pretty much had the stage, but uh, would love to get your thoughts. Feel free to text in 435-339-0321. By the way, 9315 texts in, can places like Washington move to other states to practice and play college football? Now, that's a fair question. Could Washington and Washington State relocate temporarily until numbers are more in their favor? Um, certainly, I would think a place like that would have the resources to do so. Uh, but the question is, do would they want to? Uh, they're already going to be spending resources on a lot of testing and doing things differently uh, with contact tracing and whatnot. But uh, I suppose it's possible, but... W- if if it's the California schools, the Washington schools, and Oregon schools who all need to relocate, where are they all going to go? Um, do they temporarily use Mountain West schools that aren't going to be doing anything right now? Uh, I just don't think it's possible with you having to relocate that many players for that long in that period of time. I just don't see it as a real viable option when you consider all the practices during the week. And travel, you'd basically be asking them to relocate for months. So I just don't, I just don't think it would really work. Uh, all right, so there's a game that we do know is going to be happening. It's a high school football game on Thursday. Skyview and Ridgeline, the number one versus number two team in the 4A classification, coming up uh, seven o'clock on Thursday at Ridgeline High School. 
Hurricane John Newbold has been calling the play-by-play for the Skyview Bobcats for several years. He's a Bobcat through and through. He's a Full Court Press alum, and he joins us now on the Full Court Press. John, thanks for your time tonight. Hey, no problem. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to talk about the Bobcats. And of course, I'm not biased, though. <laughs> I, I know that that's been, there's been speculation on the show the last couple of days about maybe being a homer, but that's not the case. I'm, I'm right down the middle. <laughs> You're right down the middle. <laughs> always. Um, so this, this Skyview team, um, this is a team that has only lost a total of three games since what the start of the 2017 season yeah yeah it's i mean they've 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 only lost and and really they haven't been regular season games two of them were playoff games what the only regular season game was last year at sky ridge uh where they lost 18 to 10 that was like week two right yeah yep and 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 i remember that game clearly when uh we rex and myself traveled down there and the athletic director for Skyridge, he really said, he's like, man, he's like, I, I, our coaches are really nervous about this game and kind of caught us off guard a little bit because they're a, a higher classification at Skyridge. And, and Skyview really took it to Skyridge during that game. They just came up short on one. They got the Skyridge got a safety and that pretty much doomed Skyview. But I mean, it was a good game overall. So this team has won 17 in a row now. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way they're doing it, at least certainly this year, and really the tail end of last year, is by dominating their opponents offensively and playing great defense. Uh, that was the, the case at the tail end of last year, and has continued to be the case this year, uh, outscoring their opponents like 40, 43 to fifteen so far this year. They did have the one game where they had a lead and they let Stansbury kind of get back up on them and made it interesting at the end. But what? What is it about this team that's proving to be so dominant for them? Well, the thing that I think has been the biggest thing is consistency, Eric. Uh, Even though Skyview's had three different head coaches, when you've had Craig Ander and he left to Green Green Canyon, then you had Coach Danilo Robinson come in for a year, then you had Coach Howe, even though those switches have happened, the consistency at the offensive coordinator position has been the same. Perry Christensen has just continued the offense that Coach Ander and he put a, put into the Skyview, and they've just consistently ran that offense. So their offense has always been good. And then when you added Danilo Robinson, who was a really defensive-minded coach, and then Coach Howe is the same way as he's the defensive coordinator, I think that adds. And the fact that this these guys, these kids, they just keep winning. I mean – you already mentioned it, 17 in a row, 16 region games in a row that spans, you know, three years. And so it's just one of those things. It's just, it's amazing to look at it. But I think it's the consistency. The kids just know how to win. And so when they get into a a tight game like Stansberry, um, who has given Skyview trouble, Skyview only beat them by seven last year and seven this year, it's been the same thing. I think they're just confident kids. They've all had varsity experience, and and so they get on teams early this year. They haven't been scored on in the first quarter this season, and and so they get on people early. And when they do, they 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 can maybe they relax some games, but uh, they always find the plays. Just like in the Green Canyon game, talking with Craig Hislop and John Russell about that game afterwards too. It's just like. Skyview made plays whenever they needed one, 
and it seemed like Green Canyon would kind of get some confidence and come closer to getting back into the game. Skyview always made that play to get them over the edge and extend the lead and, and basically put the game away. This, is there uh, when, if, if we're looking at this team from a ridgeline perspective, as you've, mm-hmm. if you've watched Skyview now for five games or paid attention to what they've done these first five games, if there's uh, something that Ridgeline can be looking at that is a potential weakness or an ex- a, a, a spot that can be exposed, what would you say from what you've observed? Well, from what I've seen, it, I really feel like the Ridgeline with – I know Skyview's got speed, and I know that Ridgeline, Ridge when they, they changed their defense up, and went to a 3-4 defense after the first game against Pineview, and they've really locked in defensively. I think they're utilizing their speed, and I think that teams that have gotten pressure on uh, Case and Carlson have caused some problems when they stop that running game um, against Skyview, and then they are able to get some pressure on Carlson. Then sometimes the offense gets a little stagnant for Skyview, and they seem little discombobulated a little bit but i just uh, their defense you know like they just get uh skyview out of jams but i think that if you can pressure Kaysen, not that Kaysen's not an all-state quarterback because he is and he's proven it this year with only one interception and touchdown passes and he can scramble it's just that if different teams mix it up and just like any high school quarterback they they feel that pressure and it throws their timing off with their footwork or their launch point, then I think that's maybe some of the biggest weaknesses for an opposing team looking at Skyview. Um, but it, it's if Ridgeline need is a team that can score points too, we've seen that, Eric. And so I think that that's another thing. It, Skyview's defense has got to slow down Ridgeline's offense. And if they can do that, it, it's a matter of can Skyview score a lot of points uh, against Ridgeline, so it, it's a it's a great matchup. This uh, not only is it should be motivation enough. It's a it's a region game. Mm-hmm. It's the number one team versus the number two team, but you also have a head coach going up against his former team. Yeah. Uh, now it's, I know it's been a few years removed, but there are going to be kids on that team who Coach Howell was their head coach previously. Um, does he? What are his feelings toward Ridgeline in his time when he was there? Well, I haven't talked to Coach Howell a lot of a lot about that situation, but I I'm pretty sure, knowing the way Coach Howell is, my guess and suspicion would be that I mean he he was grateful for the opportunity to get back to Utah and be coaching here in the Valley again, and had that opportunity and was given that chance at Ridgeline, and he I know that he liked that a lot and. I know that he's very excited to be back at Skyview and he's enjoyed his time there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you asked him, that's my guess is that he, he really would have just, you know, enjoyed the opportunity to be back in the state of Utah in Cache Valley and uh, be back amongst people that he knows and stuff. And when, and I just think that's what it is, but yeah, he, I think he would have known that they would be, the kids would have been freshmen, right? when he was at Ridgeline. So, yeah, he would know some of the kids, and I'm sure that he, he's just grateful that he had the opportunity to come back to the state and, and back to this valley to coach. So, John, uh, if i got to put you on the spot here, what would you think uh, this game – How what's, 
I, what are your keys, I guess I'll, I'll say, what would be your keys for, for Skyview, since you're the Skyview play-by-play guy? Uh, mm-hmm. What would be this keys for Skyview? And you've kind of alluded to this already, to get the win and to stay on top in the 4A rankings. Well, I think for Skyview, the, the first thing I would say is they have to continue to get the rushing game that they have. They need to be, if they can rush for over 100 yards, I think their pass offense is good enough to beat some teams. But if they can get some rushing, too, from uh, the, their running backs and Walter Collins and Truman Moser and then some of the other players that get some snaps and Carlson as well, I think if they can get the rushing game going, jump on Ridgeline like they have all the other teams and score early, I think that will help. And then defensively, Skyview has got to stop the passing game of Ridgeline. I think that's huge because Ridgeline's got obviously a a fantastic quarterback in Caden Cox and then just some fantastic receivers, maybe some of the best in the region. I mean, I'm biased, so I think Skyviews are pretty good too, but I know Ridgeline's got some great receivers. And so I think if Skyview's defense can get some pressure on Cox and and, and force him to make some poor decisions and, and keep those wide receivers in front of them and not give up the big play, I think Skyview's got a good chance to remain at number one and be atop of the region like they have been the last few years. Well, John, you will not be on the call for this one, unfortunately, because it's in Ridgeline, so Dave Simmons gets that honor. But uh, we do enjoy listening to you when you do uh, have the Skyview games when they are at home, and uh, we'll listen for you coming up in the future down the line. Well, we we hope that people in, enjoy our broadcast. Me and me and Rex try to put a lot into it, but we, we enjoy the Skyview Bobcats and, and the Skyview Nation. We appreciate all the listeners out there. All right, thanks, John, and give our regards to Rex Davis as well. He does a great job, uh, the two of you together on those calls. It's fun to listen to. Well, we appreciate it, and I will. All right, thanks, John. Uh, Thanks, Eric. Hurricane John Newbold, play-by-play announcer for the Skyview Bobcats as they take on Ridgeline Riverhawks on Thursday. Pre-game at 645, kickoff at 7 right here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, streaming online on 106.9thefan.com and also on 104.5 The Ranch. Coming up next, some additional thoughts uh, about uh, some things that are going on tonight. and We'll preview what's coming up next hour here on the Full Court Press. The Aggies, the Jazz, the High Schools, the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Welcome back to the Full Court Press. Big thanks to Hurricane John Newbold. He's been doing the high school games for a long time and has uh, watched a lot of good football for, coming out of the Skyview Bobcat program. That's really what it is. It's a program. A lot of success over the years. They're going to be challenged on Thursday. Ridgeline trying to make their case to be the top team in 4A. Number two right now in the first release of the RPI rankings. Um so, yeah, that's going to be fun to break that down and hear how that all plays out on Thursday, normally not on Fridays, but it's been moved up to Thursday for television purposes. Um, by the way, coming up next hour, we'll get into more about the NBA, some key matchups tonight, Game 1 in the Eastern Conference Finals, which is already underway, and Game 7 in the Western Conference Semifinals to see who goes to face the Lakers. Nuggets, Clippers, Game 7 tonight. It's going to be at 7 o'clock on ESPN. 
But uh, we'll look at those matchups, those games, uh, and then look into the uh, coaching vacancies around the NBA. Which ones kind of stand out as uh, good opportunities? Which ones may be ones that uh, some coaches run away from? And also coming up at about 5.15, Eli Betker will join me here on the Full Court Press. He writes for the Mountain West Wire, previewing that uh, big decision that could be coming down tomorrow from the NCAA Division I Council about the future of men's basketball and some announcements about some of these tournaments that will be still taking place but in a different venue. So all that's coming up next hour here on the Full Court Press. Stick around. Protest. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise. Ben Roethlisberger came back last night after missing most of last season with an elbow injury. The Steelers quarterback threw three touchdowns, leading Pittsburgh to a 10-point win over the Giants. Of all the older quarterbacks, Big Ben is one of the hardest to figure out. Just two seasons ago, he led the NFL in passing yards. He clearly still has arm strength. He hasn't been that mobile since he was a young pro, so that doesn't matter much. There are some questions about the talent around him. He doesn't have Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell, but the Steelers do have a way of finding receivers. Their rookie Chase Claypool looked pretty good last night. The expectations for Tom Brady and Drew Brees are pretty high. Super Bowl or bust. Ben doesn't have that much pressure on him now. No one really picked the Steelers. They're not even the best team in their own division. No one knows what to expect out of him. But last night was a great start. He'll need some help, but Pittsburgh's an interesting team. If Ben plays like the old Ben Roethlisberger, they have a chance to be very interesting. I'm Dan Patrick, and this is Above the Noise.